Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 will be there in just a few moments. We did have a wonderful weekend with our youth group and several very helpful adults at Maywood Christian Camp. And we studied this topic of all in this together. And we looked at the family of God, how we work together, how we live together, how we interact with each other, and how ultimately we're moving toward a forever in heaven together. We had a lot of great discussions, a lot of great lessons. Tommy and Eli uh, presented some, some, some lessons for us a couple throughout this weekend. We had some great discussion leaders and great youth who are very actively participating and engaged throughout the entire weekend. I would remind you, we have several uh, tables set up along this hallway, right on the other side of this wall. And that's for you to, to stop by and check out the accomplishments, the memories of all of our different seniors. We have 10 different seniors graduating from Tuscumbia this year. And there's a lot of, of, of good things to, to remember and look at and to see. They've put in a lot of work fixing these tables up. And so those are up there tonight. They're going to be there Wednesday. They'll be there this coming Sunday. This coming Sunday, we will be recognizing our seniors after the 1030 service. We will be presenting them with a Bible and, and naming those names. We're so thankful for this group, this class of 2021. I, I don't know about you. Uh, when it comes to singing in the car. Maybe you like to sing in the car. Generally, though, for me, if, if I'm in the car, I'm going somewhere, I, I've got the music playing. And, and usually it's a song I'm familiar with. I turn it up. Uh, I like the window. I like summer because I can get the windows down. And, and I like to sing. I don't just let the music play. I like to sing with it. Sometimes I know the words. Sometimes I don't know the words. But I'm trying. I'm trying my best. Maybe that's you. You've sung in the car before. Right? You like singing loud in the car. Well, sometimes I'm, I'm in the car with, with my wife, Jenna, and I'm singing a song, and a lot of times I'll put on a song because I know, I think I really know these lyrics. And what will happen is we're going down the road. It's going loud. Maybe we're both singing, and all of a sudden this happens, not a lot, but sometimes. She will turn the radio down and say, well, Wait, what do you think that last line was? And in that moment, it, it's this, she's not, she's not, you know, getting on to me. It's just, do you realize what those words really mean? She, or, or she'll say this sometimes, I don't think that's what that, that says. And I've been singing this song for years, as loud as I, as, as, I mean, just as, as confident as I could be, that that's the lyrics to that song. And all along, I, I've been wrong. I've, I've misheard the lyrics. I never looked them up. I never saw what they actually said. And in that moment, there's this sudden realization. I have misunderstood something. I have misunderstood something. I posed this question to some youth ministers in a, in a Facebook group on, on, online on Facebook. And, and I asked, what, what are some church lyrics that maybe we've misheard, you've misheard, or maybe some, some children you know have misheard? There, there's about five of them I want you to see right here. This first one. Blue skies and rainbows and sunscreen from heaven. The next one says, there is a bomb in Gilead. Low in the gravy lay. And, and, and as I was, I was seeing these, I'm thinking through this. Yes, I've, 
That, I mean, it sounds just like that. Maybe, maybe you haven't misread it, or maybe you have. There's a couple more. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me I am his own. And one more. The angels peck on me from heaven's open door. And there, were, there, were comment, there was comment after comment after comment, just songs, just church songs. That especially as a child, we miss here. We misunderstand, and we didn't really understand what the lyrics were trying to say to begin with. And we've been singing them wrong, we've been living it wrong for, for all this time. Sometimes we have a misunderstanding, and we come to this sudden realization, I got it wrong. I heard that wrong, I understood that wrong. But now, I understand what was being said. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus here is painting a picture of what kingdom people look like. He's he's trying to paint a picture of, of this is what it looks like to live as a Christian. And he says this multiple times. You can look through this passage. Different sections. They start with this. You have heard that it was said. You've heard one thing. And you've been living it, you've been, you've been sharing it for many years. You've heard it this way. Here's some examples. He says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And with all these instances, he follows it up and he says this, but I say to you. You've heard it this one way, but, but I say to you. It's a phrase he uses multiple times, and it's not so much that he's saying, you know, some of these, you, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not, you shall not murder. Those are Ten Commandments. You've heard these. You, you know these. Yeah, these are in the Bible. But not all of them is the, is the case. And it's not that he's saying, you've heard this, this commandment, but I say to you, do away with that completely. That's not exactly what he's saying. What Jesus is saying, though, is this is what you've heard, and this is what you've learned from the old law, and this is what you have transformed it into. You see this with some of them. We'll see this in just a second. This is verse 43. I want us to look at this instance in in detail tonight. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And you see some of these other ones. You shall, not commit adul- you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Those are Ten Commandments. We're thinking, yes, I know where that comes from. And maybe you get to this one, and, and I've done this before. I, I get to this one, I say, you shall, not, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I just think, maybe that, maybe that was a command in there. Of the 600 plus commands, maybe that was one of them in there. They've heard it this way, and they're still living it this way. I want us to see this. Leviticus 19.18. Part of this is, is true, that it is an Old Testament command. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, we see that coming, coming here in Matthew chapter 5. But it's the case that there is no part of the Torah that says anything about, any remotely close to hating your enemy. This is Leviticus 19.17, right before it. Check this out. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. 
Leviticus 19.34, later in that same chapter. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a native among you. She'll be like one of your own. And you shall love him as yourself. The stranger. The person who's not from where you are from. Who might not look like you, might not talk like you. He says you, you shall treat him as one of your own. And you shall love him, not as your neighbor, but as yourself. Proverbs 24, 7. Solomon says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. So why then is Jesus saying this, that you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Why is he saying that? Where does that come from? Why, 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 why is that the case? It didn't come from the Torah. Have play that game, Telephone. Uh, a lot of times as a youth, you sit in a circle and, and the leader says something to the first person. For instance, we say something to the first person up here and, and it goes from the, that first person whispers it to the next person, trying to get that sentence that is said exactly as, as I said it and it's going to make its way all the way to the back of the, this, this section. It's going to make its way all the way around the circle. And, and the point of the game is often an illustration that that, that things change, that you get to the end and what, what was said at the beginning, it, some things have been taken away from it, some people have added things they, they thought, you can only say it once, so they think they hear something, and then by the time it gets to them, they just, I don't know, here, I say this. They have no idea what was really being said before them. And what happens is, what was said at the beginning up here, by the time that phrase, that sentence gets to the back, it's, it's completely different. And it might not even be recognizable because it's transformed. We hear one thing and we, we, we say another thing. Or, or we hear something that's completely different than what was originally said. What happens with these people that, that Jesus is talking to is that over the years, through, through generation through generation, they're, they're told... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They're told that, that you shall treat a stranger as if they're one of your own. You shall love him as yourself. But over the years, it's, it's, it's a little taken away from, a little added to here and there. And, and through family, through family, through family, it becomes a little bit different. Culture and their society and their, their family expectations have set this standard that when it comes to Jesus, when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, you have heard it said, and perhaps you believe and you act this way. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you shall hate your enemy. No doubt, there's people right there, right then, that that's how they think, that's how they were believing. That's why Jesus says it. You have heard it said that way. But look at verse 44. This is the but I say to you. Love your enemies. Perhaps that's something they've never heard or even thought about before. And pray for those who persecute you. We get to this point, us here tonight, and, and we read this. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We've heard this before, but we ask the question, what about me? What about the expectations in my family? What, what kind of expectations am I setting in our, my family, our family, when it comes to maybe people who, who aren't necessarily 
my friend, who, who aren't necessarily living just like I'm trying to live? What about that person? What about those people? What kind of expectations have I set in my family? What kind of expectations have you set in your family for how we're going to treat those people? Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I can't help but think that maybe it's the case for some of us that we've been around people, maybe in our, in our circles in life, maybe in our family as we've grown up, that we have this expectation that we don't like those people, whatever those people might be, someone who doesn't think like I think, who doesn't maybe act like I think, act like I act, who maybe doesn't talk like I talk, who maybe doesn't look how I look. And the question is posed to us then, what do we do about this? What do we do when Jesus says, love your enemies? How do we react when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? This is challenging. This is not easy. This is a, a struggle, maybe. It is for me. This is a struggle to love my enemies, to show care and kindness to, to not just people that live next door to me, who, who, who are my friends, who I'm close to, but to all people. Especially, Jesus says here, love your enemies. I want us to spend just a few moments tonight looking at three different scenes from Jesus' life. I learned best by example. Maybe you're that way too. Three scenes from Jesus' life. Three examples from Jesus' life where he specifically shows love to somebody that other people just, us, we are not expecting him to show love to. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus has encountered a group of men. And among this group of men, they have brought to the table, they brought to this, this meeting place with Jesus, they've come to Jesus with a, a woman, and a woman who has been caught in adultery. This is a, a sin that says in the law that you catch a woman in adultery, well, it's, it's time to stone her. And, but they're not coming to Jesus to say, Let, let's stone her. This is, this is the deal. They're coming to Jesus because they want to test him. They want to try him. They want to see what his response is. They want to trap him, really. This is verse 7. They want to see how he's going to react to this woman who has clearly disobeyed the law. Verse 7 says, As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Let him who is without sin, without blemish, that's his answer. Not let stoner. Let him who is without sin be the first among you to throw a stone at her. Jesus showed love to those who lived differently than him. This woman is obviously not living the way that, that Jesus would even have her to live. And even when the old law said, it's time to stone her, in this instance, Jesus says, let him who is without sin be the first one. Let he who has not done anything wrong ever be the first one to stone her. Look at this, verse 9. Look what he says. They heard it. They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are they? <laughs> These guys who specifically sought you out, found you, brought you to me, 
to ruin your life and to trap Jesus, where are they? Jesus stood up and said to her, remember, Jesus is the one without sin. Jesus is the one who's qualified. Among all people, he's the only one qualified to throw a stone at her. And he says this, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus shows love to someone who lived differently than him. This isn't the only instance. But this is a very eye-opening experience, shocking experience to these men who brought her before him. And what we see for us today is that in this instance, Jesus gives me permission. He gives you permission to do what? He gives us permission to love someone even though they don't live the same way we live. You, you know these social standards that, that we fall into these social uh, expectations that we fall into. I am expected to talk to these people. And I am definitely expected to not talk to these people. I'm definitely expected to not pick up this person. I'm, I'm definitely expected to not help this kind of person. And Jesus says, no, I give you permission. <laughs> the people who no one want to have any part, want to do away with, actually. I give you permission to love those people. He says... Go from now on, sin no more. We don't need permission to love others. We don't need that permission. But Jesus gives it to us. Let's not do something different than what Jesus did. Let's be who Jesus was to people. Let's love those who live differently than us. The second thing that Jesus shows, the second person Jesus loves is those who did not love him. He loved them, but they did not love him in return. They did not at least show love to him in return. This is John chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus is about to wash the disciples' feet. And this is before that. He says, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. That means he knows this is going to be the most stressful life of his night, uh, the stressful night of his life. His hour had come to depart out of this world, to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, catch this, he loved them to the end. It does not say he loved 11 of the guys, but there was that one guy. Think about who's in that room. You see in verse 26, Judas is in the room. Judas who is going to betray him very, very, very soon. And what is Jesus about to do? He's about to get on his knees and, and wash their feet. And it doesn't say who all he washed. But I like to think, I like to assume Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Jesus put himself in, a, in the position, in the place of a servant. In a, in a very unselfish, in a moment where he had all reason to be selfish that night. And he shows love to, to Judas. The one who chose not to love him in return. Look at verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is the one who's going to give him up. This is the one who he has invested in all this time, all this effort and energy. And he's going to choose not to love him back. 
But Jesus chooses to love Judas. And I love what you see at the end of this, this chapter then. After Judas leaves, look at the end, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. This is as Judas is leaving to betray Jesus. Uh, and you know Jesus knows. He's going. He's going to betray me right now, to turn me in right now. Verse 34, he says this, With that in mind, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Love one another. Love those who live differently than you. Love those who choose not to love you back. Jesus chose to love Judas even though Judas did not love him. The third and the final group of people we see this time is Jesus chose to love those who hurt him. Those who specifically wanted him gone, wanted him dead. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus has been mocked, he's been beaten, he's been made fun of. Uh, all these, these terrible things have happened to him. And he's on a cross, and, and while he's on a cross, I knew I would do that someday. While he's on the cross, Luke 23, verse 33, they came to a place that's called the skull. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And, they, and Jesus said, with this group of people who said, let's get rid of him, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Surrounded by people who did not love him. Surrounded by people who, who are anxious for him to die. They've got him on a cross now. They have won in a sense. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I think it's one thing for Jesus to love those who live differently than him, think differently than him. I think it's another thing for him to love someone like Judas who chose not to love him back. But in that moment, when the people are wanting you dead, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus chooses to love those people. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus loved his enemies. So Jesus says to us, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for us. I know you've grown up thinking it's natural and maybe thinking it's normal. Maybe it's even human instinct to not love those people. Those people in life. Those people who think different, live different. Those people who love, don't love you. Those people who, who hurt you. I know it might sound, it might be pushed on you to hate them, to show hate towards them, and definitely not show love or kindness towards them. But Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think what Jesus gets at, and he does this multiple times throughout the Sermon on the Mount, but especially here in 43 and 44, he's, he's getting at the heart of the issue and you might even call that a heart issue. There's a heart issue. Because what is inside our heart is what comes out of the heart is how we live. It's how we, we talk. It's how we reach out. It's what resides in our heart that might cause us to resent someone else, to retaliate towards someone else, to react in the wrong ways. 
That means we've got to have a healthy heart. That means we've got to work to make sure that, that what's in here is in good shape. This past Wednesday, um, I, I had to have a health screening. I had to make sure my heart was healthy as part of it. But uh, if, you, if you part of PHIP, you have PHIP insurance, you've got a spouse who's an educator. Uh, you know what this is. 15-minute little visit. Uh, you're going to stop in. They're going to take your blood pressure. They're going to take your, uh, a little blood sample. And what that entails is pricking your finger. Not a big deal, right? And, and it's just a little 15-minute visit, sometimes less. This is my first time to do it, though. And, and I'm going into this, I'm thinking this shouldn't take very long. This shouldn't be a big deal. The point of the test is to make sure you're healthy. And what they do after the, somehow, some way, off of a little blood sample, they can tell you if the, the numbers are good. And I don't understand the numbers. They just say, needs to be here, you're, you're below it. That's great, whatever. The numbers are supposed to be good. This is what I go into that thinking, though. I'm doing the health screening, and I know if you're here and you've done the health screening, you're doing it because you're saving some money. $50 a month. We save on insurance. If I just do a 15-minute screening, no doubt I'm doing that. I will go do the screening. I'll take the time. I'll get the blood work done. I'll do it for, for $50 a month. That's $600 a year for a 15-minute screening. Once again, blood pressure, blood work should be no problem. I go in. Go down to GW Trenum. I'm going for this... Makeup, this is the last makeup day I can do, but I'm saving this money. I'm going to do it. 15-minute screening. Go in there, and the first thing she does, pricks my finger. Shouldn't be a big deal at all. In fact, I go into this thinking, I've had the vaccine shots over the past month. No problem at all. You know my history on, on needles and blood. It's, it's rocky. It's up and down, touch and go. And I come into this, finger pricking shouldn't be a big deal at all. She pricks it, man, didn't hurt at all, I'm feeling fine. And then she starts squeezing my finger to get some of this blood out, and I really feel like she's draining me of blood. But all she's got is a little vial. And it felt like for five minutes she is, is pulling everything out of me that she can. And, and we get through it, I'm still I'm feeling okay, but I'm thinking, man, that took forever to do that. She puts a Band-Aid on, and I think I have crossed the finish line. Starts to get a little hot in there. And, and I had a mask on. I took it off, and, and I, I said, I'm, I'm feeling a little hot. I'm thinking maybe it's just hot in there. She looks at me and says, you're not going to pass out on me, are you? And I'm thinking, well, no, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape right now. I, I really hope I don't pass out. I begin sweating, and I realize it's me. It's not, it's not what the temperature is in the room. And from there, vision's going white, I'm lightheaded. And this is a finger pricking. This is, this is, not, this is not heart surgery. It's, it's not, it's a finger pricking. For me, I've got to do this in a few months again to do it on time this time. For me, it's a finger pricking, but it is, it's, it's embarrassing. It, it, it really is. It, it is you sit there, and there's people, other people in the room, and, and that day there were two or three people. I mean, let's, let's make sure, essentially, he doesn't die. Give me a coat, give me ice, and all over a finger pricking. But I'll tell you this. 
I will get my finger pricked if it means we're saving $600. (laughs) Many of you have done this because you're going to save $600. It might be a big deal for me, but I will do it. I'll go through the pain, I'll go through the worry, I'll go through the embarrassment to save $600. As we close tonight, what does this have to do with, with loving your enemies? Jesus says, love your enemies. It's going to be painful. It, it might be embarrassing at moments. But he says, love your enemies. To remain healthy spiritually, you've got to love your enemies. It's not optional. It's what we do. It's a requirement. I love what Romans chapter 5 says, that, that Jesus... While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies to Jesus, Jesus died for us. If I skip out on this part, it's not going to just cost me $600. If I skip out on loving my enemies, it could cost me my life. If I'm healthy in every other area, spiritually, if I'm healthy in every other area of my life, But I say, no, I'm not going to go through that pain, that embarrassment to love my enemies. It might cost me my life. The challenge for us then, the challenge and the encouragement then is let's be healthy. Let's be healthy in every area, spiritually. Let's be healthy in every area of our lives. That means... It might be doing some things we might not want to do. It means we might be needing to talk to some people we don't really care to talk to. It means we might need to change my, I might need to change my attitude towards some certain people. But I'll do it. <laughs> and I know you're going to do it. You'll, you will do it because that means I'm going to go to heaven. If I'm spiritually healthy in every area of life, and especially when Jesus says, love your enemies, I'm going to do it. Let's love those people who maybe it's not as easy to love. Let's love those who, who, who hurt us, those who even might choose not to love us. Let's love those who, who live differently than us. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we are, we're so thankful for these moments where we can study your word, open your, your word up, and, and do a spiritual checkup. And we pray that we will all have open minds and open hearts to uh, the command from Jesus, the encouragement from Jesus to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And we do. We pray right now for ourselves that we will be people with open arms, open hearts, especially when it's difficult. And we pray for those who maybe we struggle to love sometimes. Help us to be better. We want to be better. Thank you so much for Jesus who showed us how to be better. We pray these things in his name. Amen. If you're here tonight, we can help you in any way. Won't you come as together we stand and as we sing.